you have your Bibles and you'll turn with me to John chapter 8. The conclusion of our service today I'll share with you briefly from the events of Friday. Many of you know, some may not, that we were in court mediation as it relates to the building program, and I'll share more with you uh, at the conclusion of the service. But nothing's more important than feasting on the Word of God, hearing from the Word of God. In this passage of Scripture, there's a case that's being tried in the temple, not in the courtroom, but there's a case that's being tried in the temple. Beginning in verse 1 of John chapter 8, Jesus went unto the Mount of Olives, and early in the morning he came again into the temple, and all the people came unto him. And he sat down and he taught them. And the scribes and the Pharisees brought unto him a woman taken in adultery. And when they had set her in the midst, they said unto him, Master, this woman was taken in adultery in the very act. Now Moses in the law commanded us that such should be stoned. But what sayest thou? This they said, tempting him, that they might have to accuse him. But Jesus stooped down and with his finger wrote on the ground, as though he heard them not. So when they continued asking him, he lifted up himself and said unto them, He that is without sin among you, let him first cast a stone at her. And again he stooped down and wrote on the ground, and they which heard it, being convicted by their own conscience, went out one by one, beginning at the eldest, even unto the last. Jesus was left alone, and the woman standing in the midst. When Jesus had lifted up himself and saw none but the woman, he said unto her, Woman, where are those thine accusers? Hath no man condemned thee? She said, No man, Lord. And Jesus said unto her, Neither do I condemn thee. Go and sin no more. Would you stretch your hand this direction and pray God's blessing and anointing upon his word and upon his servant today. Father, we bless you today. Thank you once again for the privilege that we have to be in your house. I realize the heavy responsibility that I have along with the high honor and the high privilege to minister the gospel. I admit before this, my church family, that I cannot do this without the anointing of the Holy Ghost. And I pray for that anointing to come over me. I pray not only would you give me what I need to speak, but that you would help our ears to hear <clears throat> what the Spirit is wanting to say to the church to individuals, to each and every person in the sound of my voice. Bless our children's church today.
Bless our children's pastor. Anoint him as he shares with our kids the messages of the gospel. We give you praise, glory, and honor in Jesus' name. And the church said, amen. There's a case in the temple. Specifically today, I want to talk about the sinner and their guilt. And over the next three Sunday mornings, with the help and the grace of the Holy Spirit, I want to talk about this case that is in the temple. It is my prayer that the Lord will speak unfiltered through human element, rather from directly from the heart of the Heavenly Father. In this setting, it's just another ordinary day for Jesus. You almost get the impression when you study the life of Christ that this was almost a daily routine for him. He rises up early in the morning. He goes to the Mount of Olives to pray or to some deserted place to pray and spend time with the Heavenly Father. And then he goes into the temple. They daily made trips to the temple to teach and to learn and to experience the presence of Jehovah. We don't know what time it was. We, know, we do know that it was early. Jesus was so powerful and so anointed that even in the early morning hour, the people came unto him. All the people came unto him. They all wanted to hear what he had to say, just to hang on his words, just to be in his presence. So the temple in an early morning hour is somewhat packed full of people. Jesus is teaching in this very settled atmosphere. When suddenly there's a noise that is heard. You hear the noise of angry male voices coming into the temple, into church. And here are religious leaders, scribes and Pharisees that have a disheveled, half-naked woman. And they thrust her at Jesus' feet. And suddenly, in a place where the Word of God is being taught, and where the Word of God is standing before the people, there's suddenly a case in the temple. Not in the courtroom, but in church. That's very important. You see, there are cases that are in church every single week. There are courtroom cases that happen in church all the time. Opinions gathered Thoughts shared, words spoken, preconceived notions and ideas that happen in the house of God, in the place where the Word of God is to come forth. Sometimes there's, oftentimes there is a case that is to be heard. And they have caught this woman not in the man's house or in his living room or having a, a glass of wine with her lover, but they have caught this woman in the very act of adultery. Now, I don't know where the man is in all this. Maybe I'll speculate on that later. But this scene of peace and tranquility has suddenly been turned into an angry mob scene. The woman is, in fact, guilty of adultery. And let me just say to married folks and single folks in this house this morning, adultery is still a sin. 
It is the seventh commandment of the ten that God gave to Moses on Mount Sinai. The ten commandments that were written with the finger of God. My wife had me stirred up just a few days ago when she read to me about a, a well-known prominent pastor one that I just referenced a couple of weeks ago that had made uh, this observation, apparently, that the Ten Commandments are not relevant in our day. I beg to differ. The Ten Commandments are still important today in the 21st century. Can someone say amen? You may be here this morning and maybe you don't even know what adultery means. Or maybe you need a reminder today. But what exactly is adultery? Well, whereas fornication is sexual act out activity outside of the marriage covenant between two single persons, and that is a sin also. Adultery is sexual relations that violate the marriage covenant of one party or both. Adultery is a vile sin. We're living in a culture that is so tolerant to evil behavior that we whitewash adultery and we call it an affair. Let me tell you something. God doesn't call fornication friends with benefits. God calls fornication a sin. God doesn't call adultery an affair. God calls adultery sin. Adultery breaks the laws of God. Adultery violates the marriage vows. Adultery breaks hearts and destroys families. Adultery cheapens God-ordained sexual relationships. Adultery destroys trust. Adultery shatters dreams. Adultery is horrible. Adultery is evil and inexcusable. Adultery happens when a man or a woman is turned aside of their own lust. And I want to say to every adult, married or single in this house, you have to be on guard to avoid the temptation of adultery. Every husband, every wife, every adult, every young person has to be aware of the temptation of the flesh. Well, Pastor, you're, it sounds like to me you're, you're getting right candid today. Well, let me just get a little more candid. Let me just get a little closer to home because I grew up believing this and I've, I've always had this opinion and, and I've been raised to believe that it's better to build a fence at the top of the cliff than it is to send an ambulance to the bottom of the cliff. It's better to be proactive. And in a few weeks, we're going to be celebrating Valentine's and we're going to be celebrating love. And so today, just for a few moments, let me just build a, a fence around the top of the cliff uh, and, and just be proactive. Let me just say to the, the men in the house this morning, the Bible, not Pastor Jones, but the Bible commands you in Ephesians to love your wives even as Christ loved the church and gave himself for it. And I would say to the men that are in the house today, you must show affection to your wives, public displays of devotion to your wives. You must give them the attention that they desire and that they deserve. And you must let them know and everyone around them know that they are the only one for you. Men, your wives are emotional, created beings.
friends. Security and affection are very important to them. As a matter of fact, security and affection are their two highest needs in the life of a woman, in the life of a female. They want to know they're going to be taken care of, and they want a husband that is going to uh, dote on them and do for them and, and tell them how special they are and, and how beautiful they look. And, and you may be asking yourself, well, Pastor, how can I be more affectionate as a husband? Well, acts of kindness without being asked, uh, the gentle touch, you know, the hugs and the kisses and the holding hands. You know, gifts are a beautiful thing and it doesn't have to be on Valentine's Day and it doesn't have to be at Christmas or birthday. Flowers and jewelry, don't be getting her no vacuum cleaner at Christmas and Valentine's Day. I'm telling you, you try that and you may get by with it, but there'll be no snuggling that night. I can clue you. And the lady said, their two highest needs are security and affection. And sometimes we let ourselves off the hook. Yours truly included. We need to tell them how beautiful they are. How pretty they are. They, don't, they may not even accept it. Tell them anyway. You just, you just have to dote on them. That is a need that fills the tank of who they are. Men, you still here? God help your soul if one of you is sleeping right now. I wouldn't have to come back and single you out. But the same gospel, ladies, the same gospel in Ephesians commands you to submit yourselves unto your husbands as unto the Lord. I'm still building the fence at the top of the cliff. You see, ladies, whereas affection generally is your number one need from your husband, intimacy is your husband's number one need. There's always an exception to the rule, but if you did the study and you did the research, you would discover that women's number one need is affection. Men's number one need is intimacy. And this idea that you can hold your husband hostage or emotionally blackmail him, withholding your body from him, it is wrong and it is sin. Oh Lord, it's going to get tied up in here now. When I've, I've read the Bible through a few times in my days serving the Lord before I even went into the ministry. And I tell you, I only found two biblical reasons. We say we're people that live by the Bible. And I only found two biblical reasons why a husband and wife should not come together in intimacy. One is under the Old Testament. And that, when the, that is when the woman is going through her monthly purity cleansing cycle. That was under the Old Testament law. And then if you looked over into the New Testament... You will find the other reason is if both husband and wife consent to abstain for fasting and spiritual reasons. You find that in 1 Corinthians chapter 7. Let me tell you, this is a very serious challenge that we must have. When I sit down with couples and they're having their problems and this has been going on for 25 years in pastoral counseling, I can go right to those two needs, affection in the life of a woman and intimacy in the life of a man. And usually 
nine times out of ten, those are at the top of the list of what's happening that is breaking down the relationship. I want to tell you to husbands and wives, both 1 Corinthians 7 and 4, it says the wife has not power over her own body, but the husband. And the likewise, also the husband has not power of his own body, but the wife. And then verse 5, listen to this. Defraud ye not the other one, except it would be with consent for a time that you may give yourselves to fasting and prayer. And then come back together, lest Satan tempt you for your incontinency. Let me tell you something. Thou shalt not commit adultery is on the adulterer. And sin is sin. But I'm telling every husband and I'm telling every wife in the house to do your part to make sure that temptation is not a challenge to your spouse. I wish somebody would give me a shout right about now. I'm telling you men, you got to love on them and make all over them and be affectionate toward your wife and make sure she is taken care of, protected and secure. You must treat her like a million bucks, like a priceless treasure. Women, you got to dump the curlers and the outdated house coats and appeal to your husband and seduce him and meet his needs intimately and make it impossible for the enemy to take him to a porn site or to another person's arms in the sin of adultery. I'm telling you, temptation and bitterness happen when affection and intimacy are not met in the marriage. Oh, I'm stirring up a hornet's nest today. I see that. <laughs> Sir, someone, someone will show her attention if you don't. Satan will see to that. Woo. Ma'am, the devil has someone out there to gratify his needs. Build the fence at the top instead of sending an ambulance to the bottom. I promise you that just as the devil is after my marriage, he's after your marriage. By your actions as husband and wife, you can send a signal to old Slewfoot that he's going to have to find a different area to tempt. Now, no marriage is perfect. Maybe you heard about the man and the woman that were married for 60 years. They shared everything. They kept no secrets with one exception. The little old woman had a shoebox in the top of the closet. And she told her husband, don't ever open it. Don't ever ask about it. One day, the little old lady got very sick. And the doctor said she would not recover. The little old man was going through things in the closet, getting some affairs in order, and he found the box. After 60 years of abiding by her wishes, he said, I'm going to go ask her about this box. Brought it to the wife's bedside, and she agreed it was time for him to know what was inside the box. He opened the box. And inside the box were two crocheted dolls and $95,000.
He asked her about the contents. She said, honey, when we were married, my grandmother told me that the secret to a happy marriage was to never argue. My grandmother told me that if I ever get angry with you, to keep quiet and crochet a doll. The little old man, knowing that there were only two dolls, he got moved to tears. And he said, dear, you've only been angry with me two times in 60 years. That explains the doll, but what about all this money? Where did it come from? She said, oh, that's the money I made from selling the dolls. <laughs> Attached to it, I couldn't resist. This prayer follows. This is great. This prayer follows for all wives. Dear Lord, I pray for wisdom to understand my man. Lord, love to forgive him. Patience for his moods. Because, Lord, if I pray for strength, I will beat him to death, and I don't have time to keep crocheting dolls. Here she is. She's an adulterer. She is shamed, humiliated, and naked before not just her accusers, but before the Son of God. If I took you over from John chapter 8 over into Hebrews, I would show you a verse that says these words. Everything is naked and manifest before him with whom we have to do. The law is very clear. Leviticus 20 and 10. Deuteronomy 22, verse 22. The adulterer must be stoned. So I begin to think about that. I'm, I begin to think about sin. We, we just don't preach on sin anymore. We just don't preach against sin anymore. Sin of any form or nature is a shameful thing. Shameful when it's being committed Shameful when it's a sin of the heart. Shameful when it's done in open. Shameful when it's done in secret. I am not here to condemn, but I am here to be truthful. Sin is a spiritual cancer that will destroy you spiritually. It will cost you here, and it will cost you for eternity. Numbers 32 says, be sure your sin will find you out. Proverbs 15, 3, the eyes of the Lord are in every place. He's beholding evil and he's beholding good. See, I dare say there's people in this room that if you're not in sin, you are flirting with the temptation to sin. I want to tell you something. No one gets away with sin. Sin always has a payday. Romans 6.23, for the wages of sin is death. Ezekiel 18.4, the soul that sins, it shall die. If you die because of sin, and I know we're talking about adultery today because that's what the reference is, but it's not just adultery, it's stealing, it's it's gossiping, it's lying, it's coveting, it's greed, it's drugs, it's alcohol, it's fornication, it's pornography, it's hatred, it's unforgiveness. There's a, there's a litany 
of sins. But if you die without Jesus in your heart, and if you die without forgiveness for your sins, sin unconfessed still has a payday. For whatsoever a man sows, that shall he also reap. In fact, the effects of reaping are so much even dramatic, more dramatic than the effects of sowing. If you go to the prophet Hosea, you say, if you'll, you'll find that he says, if you sow to the wind, you'll reap the whirlwind. The, the, the payday is going to be so much more than the moment of pleasure. Unconfessed sin. Unconfessed sin is hell on earth. It is. I've been there. I've been there when I'm living with a, a sin in my life, and I am miserable. It consumes my day. You can't focus. Your conscience is continually dealt with by the Holy Spirit. By the way, you don't want that to go away. But it does. It makes your life miserable. Sin, unconfessed, is hell on earth. But if you die without Jesus, and you die with unconfessed sin in your life, your payday will be hell after you die. And then hell will give you up just long enough to stand before Jesus at the great white throne judgment. And you will have every unconfessed sin run in front of you. And then you'll be cast into the lake of fire for all of eternity. The only hope for this woman was Jesus. The only hope any sinner has is in Jesus. The woman was trapped. She could not deny her sin. Let me just trail off here. One of the biggest problems in our society today that has evolved quickly over the last 20 or 30 years is that people don't take responsibility for their actions anymore. It's deflection. It's my upbringing. It's my history. The boss made me do it. A co-worker influenced me. This woman had no one to point her fingers to. The woman who enticed me, the man who seduced me, the list goes on. I don't, wear, I don't know where the other lover was. I said that already. But this is about her here, right here, right now in front of Jesus. You think it's at an epidemic? Just look at our top government officials right now. It makes us nauseous. I don't mean to get into the political realm, but it, it really troubles me that nearly 800,000 to a million people probably won't get paid for a second time this coming week. And all it is is one continuous circuit of deflection. It's me. It's me, oh Lord. Standing in the need of prayer. You know? Now, what I find to be extremely ironic, and maybe I'll talk about it more next week, is the fact that they brought her in to destroy her, but they did her the greatest favor they could have done for her. 
beyond the pastor, beyond the temple, beyond the scribes, beyond the Pharisees, beyond all the people looking, they were trying to make a spectacle out of her. But what they did was bring her to one that said these words, neither do I condemn thee, go and sin no more. Can I tell you something? Once you turn it over to Jesus, there is therefore now no condemnation to them who are in Christ Jesus our Lord. cannot move forward. You're in the room. You may be visiting, you may be a regular, but you're here by divine appointment. And I'm telling you, you cannot move forward by continually deflecting off onto someone else. You've got to take personal responsibility for your sins. You know, things, I, the things, I, things I struggle with Things I struggle with is that even us in the body of Christ, we just don't, we just don't come to the altar to repent anymore. Is that just my imagination? Of course, I was probably one of them. I was one of these people that I was so convicted and I blew it so many times that I felt like I needed to go to the altar every Sunday. Every Sunday. There I was, big old forehead inside of my arm, bawling before the Lord. Service would be over. I can hear the pastor greeting people as they're leaving. There was always one hand that was always on my shoulder, never failed, and that was my mama's hand. And as I was bawling, she was right there bawling, praying in tongues with me. She knew what a knucklehead I was. She knew I needed it. I probably needed to be in there seven days a week, not just on the Lord's Day. And people say, well, I don't know if all that's necessary. Let me tell you what my feeling is. If you need to ride that altar to heaven every single day, every single week of your life, you do it. You just make sure your soul is right with God and that you're cleansed and that you're pure and that you're praying like the psalmist every day, creating me a clean heart, O oh God, and renew a right spirit within me. Search me, O oh God, and know my heart. See if there is any wicked way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. You can't play games with the holiness of God. He calls you and I to be righteous. You can't ignore the conviction. You can't ignore the guilt. You got to make it right. You got to get down with some godly sorrow and say, God, I repent. When's the last time you heard the word repent? It's still needful today. Young people. Mom and dad won't get you in. If you have unconfessed sin, you're going to split hell wide open. I thought, man, my mama was godly. My dad was godly. I thought for the longest time, man, I'm telling you, as long as I'm close to them when the rapture takes place, I'm sure enough to go. I learned soon enough that it's about you and the Lord. There are going to be people that, that were raised in heathen homes. 
that never even heard the name of Jesus that are going to make it to the marriage supper of the Lamb, and they're going to be in heaven for all of eternity. And yes, there are going to be people that were raised in godly homes with praying parents, and their parents prayed for them and prayed for them. But ultimately, when it was all said and done, they had to make the individual choice, and they chose not the Lord. And they will be separated from those godly parents for all of eternity. It's you. It's a sinner and their guilt. It's you. It's me, oh Lord. You say, Pastor, it's, it's a strong word. I, there is no condemnation here. I'm just one beggar telling another beggar where to find some bread. In the book of Ezekiel, and I'm getting ready to close. But in the book of Ezekiel, the prophet was told, if you don't confront them about their sin and they die in their iniquity, they will perish, but their blood I will have on your hands. However, if you give them my word, as hard as it is sometimes, and they still perish. Your hands will be clean. Psalmist asked the question. I feel the Holy Spirit in this house. He asked the question. He said, who shall ascend unto the hill of the Lord? Who shall stand in his holy place? And then he answered the question. He who hath clean hands and a pure heart. You don't have a pure heart if you have unconfessed sin in your heart. Jesus himself in Matthew chapter 5 said, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Every head bowed and every eye closed. Lord, I have released that that you have put in my heart. In this room are unbelievers. In this room are sinners. In this room are those that profess Christ, but they, they have sin that they need to repent over. They're not coming to a priest. There is only one mediator between God and man, and that's the man, Christ Jesus. But Holy Spirit, as you're working in this very room, the guilt of their sin is coming to the forefront. And what I want them to feel is not man-made condemnation. That's not it at all. But I want them to know Holy Spirit conviction. That He loves you so much that He is dealing with you right where you sit. That you need to put that thing under the blood. You need to put that sin 
under the blood. And then get up in the victory and say, Lord, by your grace, by your help, I'm going to overcome this. Is there anybody in the house that needs to pray? Anybody that could care less about what people in the room think? You just want to come and talk to Jesus about some stuff in your life. How about it, young people? Anybody? Say, I'd like to just, there's some, there's some stuff going on. I'm not asking you to share it with me. I, I, I'm asking you to come, come to Jesus. I appreciate the honesty of hearts that are starting to move in this direction. It's just you and him, just you and him. Create in me a clean heart, oh God. Renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence. Take not your Holy Spirit from me. Adulterers, fornicators, the greedy, the covetous, they'll not inherit the kingdom of God. All liars shall have their part. Is there anything? Is there anything? Anything between your soul and your Savior? Anything? just as I am. Without one plea, but that your blood was shed for me. And that you bid me come to thee. O Lamb of God, I come. I come. Just as Everybody sing it with me. Just as I am without one plea, but that thy blood was shed. 